at the end of these three hours, I get up and I'm just fascinated. And I, I asked Coach Wood and I said, Coach, you know, you're such a gift to humanity, right? You're so incredible. How does someone get mentored by John Wood? And he looked at me and he said, you ask. And I said, how many people ask? And he said, not as many as you might think. Most people immediately assume that there's no way someone else would mentor them, so they don't ask. And the end result is they take themselves out of the opportunity even before it begins. Hey, everybody, this is Michael Red, and welcome to the Betting on Yourself podcast, where I interview successful entrepreneurs, athletes, and other top performers who rose to the top, took success into their own hands, and bet on themselves. When Don was 45 years old, a new father, and working as an associate editor for the premier sports magazine in the world, he was offered the opportunity to make a risky career pivot, which would turn out to be one of the best decisions of his life. In today's episode, we discuss Don's journey from accidental member of the school newspaper club to professional writer to corporate speaker. What has stayed constant throughout Don's life is his drive to continuously better himself through being curious. And this has led him to some fascinating spaces. Dealing with adversity, the value of being humble enough to ask for help, and why the hallmark of consistency are just three of the many big themes that we get into during this conversation. Don also scored on Michael Jordan, which makes for a great story. Today I am joined by a really special guest. His resume is too long to announce and and to share, but he's an 11-time New York bestseller, author, world-renowned speaker. Dear, dear guest today is Don Yeager. Don, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks, Michael. Appreciate it. And a great opportunity to get a chance to spend a little time with you. Yes, we we, we will spend time today together and I'm looking forward to it. And with your busy schedule, we're we're ultra grateful for your, your time. By now, I think you know the theme of the show and the show is all about betting on yourself. And there's a wide range of people who listen to this podcast all around the world. And I think today there's some things that you may share that may draw inspiration. I'll ask you in the first question that I have for you, what has it meant for you to bet on yourself? Well, my good fortune is that kind of early in life, I really began that concept of being a consummate learner, like, you know, an inveterate learner. I was always curious. I think that's what actually drew me to journalism. And so curiosity has allowed me to be, to find and secure places where I can know that I can grow. And so for me, always trying to better myself really starts with curiosity. What, what can I learn today? What will, how will I be better for having just had this conversation with you? Wow. Wow. And is there a moment that stands out to you where you took this massive risk on yourself or is it daily or tell me about that process for you or that moment for you? Probably the biggest moment for me occurred a number of years ago when Sports Illustrated, where I was a uh, I was an associate editor and kind of a senior level employee at the magazine, was making some changes to their staff sizing, and uh, the opportunity existed for me to to take a a buyout, right, an early retirement package. But I was only forty five years old, so mm-hmm. boy, do you do that? And you know, you're working w- at what was at that time, in my opinion, the premier sports magazine in the world, right? It was a place that everyone in 
my profession wanted to work. And here we were being presented with this opportunity to leave, if you will, right? You know, mm. but it was pretty obvious, this is 2008, that the world was changing, the market was changing. And that if there was going to be a time for me to pivot in my career, weird as it would be to pivot at age 45, that that was the time. And so it worked for me. I, I, I set out, I realized that I wanted to do corporate speaking. I recognized that for me, I loved writing books and had written a few before then. I made it a, a more central part of who I was and kind of just flipped my career from one to the other. But it was, I had just become a father for the first time. And here I was, you know, making this choice to leave what even then was still considered the premier sports magazine in the world to go out and try something on my own. So, yes, talk about taking a bet <laughs> on yourself. Now, you know, my good fortune is things have worked out for me and they haven't really worked out for the magazine industry. So, in some ways, it almost looks like it really wasn't much of a bet. But at the time, it felt like I was uh, the 80 to 1 odds at the Kentucky Derby. Wow. Wow. Well, as you you were proven right in, in the pivot. And we'll talk more about the transition and the mindset about transitioning in a bit. The ability to take risk and to be a go-getter. Was that something that was harnessed within your family dynamic as a child? I know you were born in Hawaii. And obviously, you've had time at Ball State and on and on and on. But talk about your family dynamic and how much of an influence that had on you as far as being able to be a risk taker. Yeah, it's funny. My dad was a preacher, Methodist preacher. And so, it was one of those things where I don't know that he would have categorized himself as a risk taker. So, I didn't really see it modeled in my household. But what I what I knew was that when everything is locked up and, and all you have is one method to see the world, one way in which you see the world, often what happens is you don't you don't find yourself out there trying to look for those new opportunities. Good fortune was that in the world of journalism, you kind of did have to be a little bit more of a risk taker. You had to go to crazy places and take crazy jobs in order to advance. And so I didn't see it modeled at home, but I did see it modeled professionally when I when I left college into my uh, my writing career. Now, was being a journalist, was that something that was always a dream of yours or something that you wanted to do even through high school or college? You know, Michael, it's funny because you and I would probably both agree that sometimes the greatest things that happen to you are the things you weren't expecting. Mm. So, for me, our family had moved from Japan where we were living to Indianapolis, Indiana. Talk about a <laughs> culture shock, right? Yeah, you got Hawaii, Japan, Indianapolis, Indiana. And, uh, <laughs> but we moved right as I was kind of going into my, uh, my freshman year of high school. And so when you had to pick an elective, uh, I picked uh, ROTC because I had spent so much time around military families. I just, I thought maybe the military was a good future for me. And the night before classes were to start, the counselor at the school called our house and said that not enough kids had signed up for ROTC. So they were canceling the program, but that's okay. They had put me on the student newspaper and, uh, and I thought, oh man, like who wants to be on the student newspaper? And ironically, it turned out to be, I, I found my spot, but it was just by complete accident. I want to jump and fast forward to age 45 because you mentioned it a few minutes ago about transitioning and pivoting. Talk about the nuance within that, right? The transitioning. I know a lot of people struggle with transition 
or adjusting to transition. Talk about how that was for you personally. Well, I think the biggest thing for me was the personal risk, right? I mean, as I said, I had just become a dad. So I have a, a, a wife and a newborn son and and I'm and I'm stepping away from just a dozen years earlier when I when I took the job, you know, was the job that I would have argued was my dream. And it's that, you know, you're but you're but you're looking at it and thinking the only reason they're offering buyouts, right? If anybody is out there and 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 facing something similar is because organizationally they are seeing a future that you might not see yet, right? You may not notice that the uh, that the marketplace is going away because you're just head down doing your thing all day long, which was true for me. And so that idea that they were offering buyouts was a was a pretty good signal that boy, I better go find whatever that next thing might be. And while they're offering a buyout, that's a pretty good time to go to go find it because it gave me a parachute for a bit. And so that was the beauty of the of of the situation was just being able to take and absorb what they were offering and thinking about it in a, in in a in a more macro way and i think that's sometimes the thing that allows us to pivot most easily is if you can pull yourself back out of the out of the weeds if you will and uh and start looking down and saying gosh what what could all this mean wow i agree i agree i've had experience on a number of transitions in my life, and you're you're absolutely right. Now, was the transition to speaking publicly like a natural transition for you, being from from being such a great writer over the years? Was that natural for you to be a speaker? You know, you might think so because it's just at the end of the day, it's just storytelling, right? But right. it's it's a different form, and 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 it requires, in some ways, very many different skill sets. So the thing I had to do, probably like you did, right? We're both cut from uh, well. I would, I'm going to generously say we're cut from an athletic cloth, both of us, but yours just happened to be at a little better level. But the bottom line is one of the things that should make us successful is being coachable. And so the thing I realized pretty quickly was if I wanted to try this new pivot, I needed to go out and hire coaches to help me do it. So I went out and hired speaking coaches. I went out and hired people to help me learn this new profession. And I didn't I didn't just throw myself out there and say, gosh, well, because I did this one thing, I should be good at another. I recognized the difference and that I needed to be coachable in order to be able to make the transition. Mm. Which is an incredible quality for all great athletes. You've had the, the privilege to be around some extraordinary people over your life. Talk about some of the athletes you've been able to work with and and what is the common thread, all of the great athletes that you've been able to work with, coaches, what's the one thing that you've been able to pick apart from those experiences? You know, I think the greatest lesson you can learn from people that are, especially those who've had to play out their wins and losses on a, on a very public forum, right, is really, it comes down to the management of adversity. How do you, how do you handle tough times? How do you how do you pick yourself back up when in some ways it, it, it feels like the world is laughing at you, right? And all of us have those situations. Just, I mean, only a, an, an infinitesimal portion of us have to experience those things with, with television cameras focusing in on our every uh, move and every eyebrow raise. And so 
that concept of kind of learning adversity and how to manage it has been the one constant that I think has been really cool. And it's fun, you know, since then, you and I have talked about this, and I'm excited that I'm going to get a chance to have you on my podcast also. But picking up and getting into this podcasting world was a transition for me. I put it off for many years. I didn't want to do it because I kept thinking, gosh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. But now, like you, just the opportunity to be in conversation, to, to, to ask questions of other people. And what you're finding is that, like I had Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta on, and you know, you talk about dealing with adversity, right? One, one day, one day he's running the most profitable and the most amazing airline in the world. And, uh, you know, 30 days later, because of COVID 95% of his customers are gone. And you've got to figure out how do you handle a hundred thousand employees when you've got, when you have all of your customers leave you, it's just talk about managing adversity and what he did in that and the lessons he taught just so very athletic, but really, really amazing. I know you, 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 you talk and speak with leaders all around the world and corporate leaders, athletes. There's been a tremendous amount of pressure to lead the last two and a half years. Mm. You need it more than ever. Yeah. I was going to get your perspective on leadership in this time and your perspective on that. I think we are in a phase where we need solid, ethical, meaningful leadership more now than ever, right? I think there's a, unfortunately, there's a portion of our world that has gotten very black and white, right? I mean, you're either with me or you're against me. We can't be open to conversation. But what's going to create that ability for us to come back toward a middle of some kind is really going to be good, solid leadership. That's to me, is a a need in our in our society. It's a need in our families. It's a need in our businesses, and how those leaders can learn to encourage us to see each other more openly and draw empathy into our relationships again is going to be really really important. Empathy and relatability, two great qualities to possess. Amen. Speaking of leaders, you've had the privilege. Of being one around one of the great leaders of our time, Coach John Wooden. Talk about those experiences that you had with him along the way. So, Coach was it, my my introduction, my real introduction to him. I had met him a couple times previously, but he was eighty eight years old, and he I had heard through uh, the Dale Brown, who was the basketball coach at Louisiana State. You'll remember him, yes. Uh, Dale Brown was Shaq's college coach. Correct. And I'd heard from Dale that Shaq was going out on a monthly basis to spend a couple hours with John Wooden. Now, here's Shaq, who was 26 at the time, doing horrible movies and and music (laughs) that none of us should have on our playlist. And and he's going out to meet with this 88-year-old coach john wooden and what could other than basketball could they have in common so i asked for permission to sit in on one of the conversations and they both allowed me to and so i sat there and i listened for three hours as they talked about how to be a better teammate how to be a better internal leader for his team how to be a better father right it was just this 
never once did they really talk about basketball in, in, in the way of like, here's how a really good post player might position himself. Never once did they get into those kind of conversations. Mm. It was all about being better. At the end of these three hours, I get up and I'm just fascinated. And I, I asked Coach Wood and I said, Coach, you know, you're such an, a gift to humanity, right? You're so incredible. How does someone find, how, how does someone get mentored by John Wood? And he looked at me and he said, you ask. And I said, how many people ask? And he said, not as many as you might think. Most people immediately assume that there's no way someone else would mentor them. So they don't ask. And the end result is they take themselves out of the opportunity even before it begins. Mm. Mm. And I was really taken by that, but I was, I didn't know what to say next. So I, I, I go home, I write this story about this interaction between Shaq and Coach Wooden, call him back. And we talk for a couple minutes and I said, Coach Wooden, as I stood there and was getting ready to leave, I felt like I was supposed to ask. And he said to me, what took you so long? <laughs> and from that moment on, over the next 12 years, I flew to Los Angeles every other month for a day with John Wooden. Wow. A day that was just built for me to learn, for me to go out. I had to come. The, the rules were pretty simple. I had to come with questions. And when my questions ran out, our day was over, which meant I worked like crazy to have great questions because I wanted as much time. He was blocking the day for me. And if I could, if I ended it two hours, well, then the day was over. So wow. I wanted, I, I, I blocked and I did all kinds of research and tried to come up with great content for questions. And I spent more than 500 hours with him over the course of those 12 years, just learning from John Wood. And we wrote a book together on the power of mentoring and what it means to be a great mentor to someone else and what it means to be the mentee how you need to be ready to learn and uh, ready to implement when you get the gift of mentorship from someone else. That is a wow story. A wow story. Uh, <laughs> uh, I never had the privilege of meeting him, but it's really an important lesson, right? To like be humble enough to learn, follow, which will then make you a, a great leader. And he was, that's the thing, right? I mean, you and I can probably look at it and because we know the game well enough, we could identify him as maybe the greatest of all time. I, I argue he is. There are those who might argue against me, but I think he's the greatest of all time. And yet every time we went out to dinner, and we did usually or breakfast at each one of those days, we always went to the same two restaurants because those are the only two places he loved to go. <laughs> and I remember one time I said, gosh, you know, coach, you know, how many, how many times a week do you come to this restaurant? And he said, conservatively, seven. <laughs> and, but, you know, every time, served by the same waitresses every day, every day, he has something kind to say to them. Man, those are, those shoes, they, they look, your hair, man, your hair looks better today than I've seen it. In a, what, did you do something different with your hair? And these women would just light up because one of the greatest men on the planet just, you know, found something nice to say about him. And you think about that. John wouldn't have to do that, but that's what made him special. Wow. Loving people, serving people, how to help people, 
hallmarks of, of leadership, servant leadership, and you know that well. If I mention this word to you, I want to I get your thoughts and perspective on it. Consistency. Consistency, I think, is, Michael, is the, the hallmark of, of, of greatness, right? It's the hallmark of people, if they know what they're going to get from you every day, and if you know what you have to give every day in order for others to be better in your presence, man, that's the gift that keeps on giving. If they can feel your consistency, but you have to be committed to it because it's really easy to let today's downfalls, today's challenges cut at your at, at your ability to bring your best. So I, I love it that you talk about consistency because I think it is the driver and it is it is a it's a it's a lost point of importance that more of us need to focus on. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. And and I think it's it's the embodiment of excellence. And I'm sure in all of the time that you've been around incredible people, your mentorship, interwoven in that probably is the element of excellence. It's and and it's funny for so many people what they don't it's about the importance of routine and and it's hard in our world today to kind of sometimes find routines. We have, you know, we have so many things coming at us, social media, others, you know, that can that are that are just noise, right? That are just distractions. And and how do you set aside all of that to build out your routine? How do you make sure you are well prepared in everything you do? And if you are those things, and the world will conspire to give you some good stuff. Hmm. Best advice you've ever received from an athlete? Best advice I pro- was I w- so I had the opportunity. I worked with Walter Payton, the great running back for the Chicago Bears. I lived with Walter for the last few weeks of his life while he was dying to write his autobiography. Hmm. And and he Walter talked about the importance of doing things for people who could give you nothing in return. And that if you really want to measure who you are, like what's the measure of a person, it's what you do for those who can give you nothing in return. And, and, but he didn't just talk it. Like I know the stories of how he lived it through what other people shared with me. You know, there are a lot of people who their, their audio and their video don't really align, right? They say certain things and then they, they live differently. Walter was not that guy, but but it became a real important message to me, one I share regularly with my own children, is what do we do today? What have we done today for someone who can give us nothing in return? Don, have you ever pinched yourself? I mean, you say these names so casually, Walter Payton, John Wood. <laughs> have you ever pinched yourself of like, oh my goodness? I do. I just, I try not, I try not to leave a mark because it looks kind (laughs) of weird. Yes. Now I'm sitting here in my office right now. And I mean, just hearing you say it, I'm just, I'm looking and yeah, there's all all these pictures all around and it's just crazy. Sometimes you sit and laugh and then every once in a while you look up there and you see me and Snoop Dogg and you think, man, there (laughs) there we go. Or whatever he is today, Snoop, whatever he is today. But yeah, it's a, a, Wow. Well, people hold you in the same regard, and and but I'm sure along the way it's hard for you not to fanboy out in meeting these extraordinary people. Oh, of course. But what it's so funny, Michael, and you get this right. 
that when you spend enough time around all those, you realize the one thing they probably like least are the people that fanboy on them. So what you really try to do is prepare yourself in advance for how do I make sure I just, I'm, I'm thoughtful and I'm not asking about that shot that occurred in game six of the 19, you know, 99 uh, NBA finals or whatever. I want to actually, instead, I want to engage him about raising children in an age in a world or that, that they had to grow up around is so different than the way you grew up. I mean, those are the kind of questions that I think people love to engage around. And so I'm always really thoughtful in that way. The ultimate fanboy experience for you and pinch yourself experience from what I researched, you actually scored on Michael Jordan. <laughs> yeah, you probably did too, more than once. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I probably, you're probably the only person I could talk to uh, in one of these podcasts that could go, dude, you did it once. I, I did it. Let me tell you how many times I did it. All right. <laughs> You gotta you gotta share the story and the context behind that. That's so cool. So Jordan does an old man basketball camp, right? Yep. Or he did for many years to raise money for Make a Wish. And I'm on the national board of Make a Wish, so it means a lot to me that he that he cares so much. And he raised a million and a half dollars at these uh these old man camps. And he brings in all these great coaches, right? As Shashevsky and Roy Williams and all these great coaches come in to coach us old guys who love the game of basketball. And who are who are way past our prime and never had a prime to begin with. But on one of the days, he picks 20 guys out and he says, today you get the chance to go one-on-one with the greatest player of all time. It's pretty cool, right? To be able to call yourself the greatest and no one. All right. <laughs> pretty awesome. Like, like no one even debates it. And so he picks out 20 of us and I happen to be one of the 20. And then he looks at us and he says, here's the deal. The rules are really simple today. So I'm going to let my assistant explain them. His assistant steps up, says, yeah, rules are simple. You're going to play a game to one. First guy to score wins. But Michael starts with the ball. Mm. <laughs> so you're open. You got you to gotta guard Michael Jordan. And so Jordan steps in. He says, by the way, I've been doing this for, for nine years. Now, 20 guys, nine years, and five guys have ever scored. And there won't be a sixth today. So now he's in your head, right? <laughs> the guy too in front of me like goes out, try to guard Michael Jordan. Jordan does a, a ball swipe, knocks him to the floor. One dribble, two steps, thunder dunks, pulls the ball out, chucks the ball on the guy who's laying there on the floor and says, <laughs> now you know what it's like to be spanked like a bad child, right? Just such a great trash talker. You know that. I do. So, and it's my turn. Two guys later, it's my turn. And when I go up, I decide... I'm not going to let him dunk. So I actually step back a little bit. I'm just going to stay between him and the basket. He's out the three-point line. And um, Coach Krzyzewski actually came up later and he said, Jaeger, you were so far away from him. If you'd wanted to go guard him, you'd had to take a cab. (laughs) So I'm out there and Jordan's now at the three-point line and he's got the ball in his left hand with his right hand. There's actually a picture of him and he's calling me out. And he looks at me and he says, are you really going to give me this shot? And I looked back at him and I said, I don't think you have it in you. Oh. Playing off his Gatorade. Yeah. Coach. And everybody starts laughing. All the guys start laughing. And Jordan shakes his head and he goes up, takes a shot, and he missed. And the ball go ball went wide left and I got the rebound. And I take it back outside the three-point line and he's stepping out to guard me. And as he is, 
I looked back and I said, aren't you going to return the favor, like be a bad defender, right? And he looked at me and he said, I know you don't have that shot in you. And as he said it, I jacked it from 26 feet, nothing but net. (laughs) And and, uh, as my wife said, if I were anywhere near as smart as I think I am at times, I should have never touched another basketball again. And said that was my last shot. Unfortunately, I'm not that smart. Now, there are all kinds of people all over the country that have scored on the guy that scored on Jordan. So it works out good for me. Did you get footage of that at all? I have pictures. Yeah. There was a photographer there shooting it from Sports Illustrated. And so, yeah, pictures, which is fun. That's awesome. There was actually there was actually a film crew there working on a Nike commercial. And so when I saw them and they were filming, I like I ran to him and I was like, I'll, whatever you want money wise, I will pay you for the video <laughs> of that exchange. And the photographer showed me what he had shot. He said, I was so sure you were not going to be the guy that scored on him. That I was filming Michael's shoes while you were, while you guys. So the entire, you can hear all the background, you can hear the interaction, everything else, but it's, he's got his camera targeted on Michael's uh, feet the entire time. So sadly, the, the view of me from afar had nothing to do with, uh, with, with success. Wow. What a moment. What a moment. Oh, yeah. Trust me. Probably not as much fun as the moments you've had scoring on him. But I'm Michael, and I've run into him a number of times over the years, and he looks at me and he says, are you still telling that BS story? Every day, Michael. <laughs> I'll tell it every day. Ah, that's funny. That is so funny. That is great. That's a, that's a, memorial, a memorable moment for you that I know you never forget. As we wind up, talk to me about legacy. You mentioned your wife, your kids. What does that word mean to you? Well, obviously, it you know it, at its root, right? You, you study the the root of the word, and I have a lot because I'm so fascinated by it. It's what are you leaving behind that hopefully will create a better world for those who will walk in your footsteps. And so, for me, obviously, raising great children will be will, will is my my greatest hope, my greatest legacy. And as I said, I'm a late in life dad, so it's a it's a really cool thing to be working on it. And to watch them develop, it's really awesome. But then secondarily, professionally, the legacy I've really worked to develop is to create an avenue for other people to be able to tell great stories, to tell their stories. I help, that's largely, you know, we mentioned Coach Wood and we mentioned Walter Payton, we mentioned Michael Orr, the kid from the blind side, Bubba Watson, the golfer. I mean, I've just, I've written 35 books, right? And I've just, most of them are helping other people tell their story. It's part of the why I got into podcasting was to through this corporate competitor podcast, trying to interview these people and ask them questions that draw out their story for other people to live and learn. And so taking advantage of that curiosity that we talked about early to make myself of value to other people by helping them tell their stories. That, I guess, would be, that's my legacy professionally. And hopefully and prayerfully, and there's a 36th book with Michael Red in there somewhere. But ah, I'm just going to plug that go. in there. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Look, I'm, trust me, we're always working the next one. <laughs> you, you, you did an incredible job with, with all the books that you've written. If you had any advice for your 16-year-old self, what, would, what advice would you give your 16-year-old self? Slow down. That was my, I think probably it was, you know, I, I, 
I was in such a hurry at different stages of my career and my life that I I had places where I got humbled, right? Almost every place I got humbled, if I go back and I look at it, the root of that humbling came from my desire to do everything faster. I wanted I wanted a better job title. I wanted a little bit more money. I wanted this. I wanted that. Everything just had to happen and had to happen yesterday. And I think I could have spared myself a lot of a lot of pain probably if I had just learned early how to slow down. Mm. So good. Well, with that being the case, what is next for you? Well, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of speeches went away, right? So we, uh, but that's started to pick back up again. We got, we had several thousand people in Las Vegas just a couple of weeks ago. It's all good. Like we're just getting back to it, but it feels like we're starting a career all over again, almost in some ways. And then for me, I mean, I mentioned a couple of times doing this podcast and like, I'm excited to interview you. I'm excited for the research that we did about you and the opportunity to get to know you better. Again, it's just an extension of this desire to learn other people's stories in a way that is helpful to an audience of sorts. And just as you're doing here, you know, our ability to draw out from other people, um, that's, it's kind of been my calling and, and I hope it remains that for a long, long time. Wow. We do too. Don, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have you on the Betting on Yourself podcast. So many nuggets, so much wisdom. We are internally grateful that you were able to be on the show today with us. Well, Michael, thank you. It is, uh, it's always an honor. Anybody who can play for George Carl, I figured I got it. <laughs> I, did a, I did a book with him too. So yes, you I, did. <laughs> we, we've had numbers of, a uh, number of places where, where our paths have, have kind of tangentially crossed. But if George Carl, can put his imprint on you, then that's good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad that we had the chance today to grow and learn from each other. It was a pleasure. Don, thank you so much. And this was the Betting on Yourself podcast. In Don's words, trying to better myself starts with curiosity. What can I learn today? How can I be better for just having this conversation with you? Well, I'm certainly better off for having had this conversation with Don. I hope all of you listening today feel the same way. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Don. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Don Yeager. Thank you for listening. And until next time, I'm Michael Red. And remember, betting on yourself is the secret to your success.